many Jews it's very easy to love that aren't very easy to love. And there are many Jews that are not quite as easy to love. We all know that. Um, so Rabbi Yoshua Schwab said that he heard from his father about the great Torah teacher of Baruch Be'er Leibowitz. Baruch Be'er is a very famous, very famous Rosh Yeshiva, Kamenetz Yeshiva in Eastern Europe. Okay. So, Rabbach <clears throat> Bear posed the question. He said, on what, on what merit can I hope to claim a place in the next world? Will it be my Chidushe Torah? No, he concluded. Of what possible merit will my Torah insights be in the presence of the Tanaim and Amoraim, the Rishonim and Achronim, the great sages of yesteryear? I would be foolish to think that they would merit me a place in the world to come. Perhaps I can claim entry based on my sacrifice, Mesiris Nefesh, Vitar Mitzvah. That too is ridiculous. Of what merit is my sacrifice compared to the tens of thousands of Jews who gave their lives? Rather than deny Hashem, what could I say for myself in the place of all the martyrs who were burned at the stake during the Spanish Inquisition, Inquisition or slaughtered during the Crusades? Finally, Rebarach Be relaxed. He had found something about himself sufficient to merit a place in Olam Haba in the next world. What was that? I loved every Jew, just as he was. Yeshua then expanded on the nature of Rabbach Be'er's Avas he saw. One day Rabbach Be'er entered his house and found a repairman at work. The man was clean-shaven, which in those days was a pretty sure sign that he was not Jewish. Rabbach Be'er addressed him in Russian. The man replied in Yiddish. As soon as he realized that the repairman was Jewish, Rabbach Be'er was beside himself. He addressed a Jew, any Jew, as he would have addressed a Gentile. Though there had been nothing belittling or condescending, Rabbach Be'er felt the need to gain the repairman's forgiveness. First he asked if he could get him something to drink, and he offered to prepare him breakfast. Merely speaking to it, merely speaking politely, but without any particular warmth or feeling of closeness, was in Rabarch Bear's eyes, a horrible offense. I recently asked the Gadol, what is the sort of Abbas Yisrael? He replied to see every Jew as a neshama, not as a goof, as a soul, not as a body. In other words, our special love for a fellow Jew derives from a recognition of his or her <coughs> greater spiritual potential. He goes on, Jonathan Rosenblum, in this beautiful article, and he says, Nowhere is that connection at 2% left seen more clearly than in the great figures of the Kirov movement. Success in Kirov depends on seeing the Jew, not as he is now, but in terms of what he can be by focusing upon him as a neshama with unlimited potential. All of those who knew Rabbi Meir Shuster, some of you in the room might know, knew of him, almost invariably begin their descriptions of him with his davening, or the way he said, the intensity each word fairly shouted, the physical expression of the desire to reach higher and to come closer to Hashem. <coughs> for 30 years, a sense of divine mission brought him to the Kotel every morning for the Nate's minion and made him a seemingly omnipresent figure in the streets of Jerusalem. Asked why he would have such a why he, why he would have followed a complete stranger, much less a beheaded dark 
Sudir Rabbi of a few a few words to the Heritage House Hostel. The young woman could think of no other reason than because he cared so much. It was not so important to him that I, it was important to him that I stay at a Jewish hostel. If you could instill God consciousness like Rabbi Noach Weinberg, I listened to him teach Ava Rabba and I felt like Hashem loves me in a way that I never felt before. One time the Chacham told me. Though he himself wore the formal dress of a Rosh Hashim, Rabbi Noach had no trouble seeing the neshama of any Jew he met, not matter, no matter how disheveled. One of his Talmudim was walking through the Damascus Gate one day and he saw a young Jew look so out of it that he could not help to think of himself. Even Rav Noach, even Rav Noach could not reach this fellow. Yet in time, that young Talmud was at his Arab tailor. That young Jew somehow wandered into Eish Torah and found himself in Noach's office, where he remained speaking to Noach for several hours. And there he went to the base Medrash and started learning Torah. Today, he not only learns Torah but teaches others. Abbas Yisrael, loving a Jew, loving a Jew. It's a tremendously important thing. As we will see in a moment, that's very much connected to our parsha. So our parsha, known as parsha Shmini, parsha Shmini, and in the parsha, there are famous things that happen. Famous things that happen. The Gemara says, the Gemara says, on this day, parsha Shmini. <coughs> Is the eighth day from the inauguration <coughs> of the Mishkan. And really it happened on Rosh Chodesh Nisan. The eighth day is Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And the Gemara says in Masecha Shabbos on page 87 that on this day, tremendous kavod came into the world. This day took ten crowns. Gathered on this day. This was the first day where Aaron became Kohen. This was the first day where Klai Yisrael received the bracha of the Birchas Kohanim. This was the first day where the fire came down from Shamayim on the copper altar. This was the first day where they brought the Rosh Chodesh offering. A lot of firsts on this day. The first day that Nachshon ben Aminadav, the first Nasi head of tribe, brought a sacrifice. Ten crowns. In the language of the of the Medrash, Rishon Lamase Bereshis, the first of the first of the day of creation, because according to one opinion, Rabbi Yoshua and the Gemara, on Rosh Chodesh Nisan was the day that Adam Harishon was created. Rishon for the Nesiim and for the Kahun and the Avoda and the fire and the eating of Karbonos, the Kachim, Rishon of Rosh Chodesh. So much, so many firsts on this day. It's interesting to note on this day, as we pointed out in pe- previous years, which we will not go into great depth today, this was also a very sad day. Because this was the day that we are told in the parasha that Nadav and Aviyu, the children of Aaron Akohen, died. Right? This is, the, this is that day. And 
without going into the details of why they died, there's a tremendous amount of explanation given by the rabbis as to what happened there. If you look at on page 592, chapter 10, Torah tells us, verse 2, Hashem. A fire went out before God, it consumed them, and they died in the presence of Hashem. And Rashi, in one explanation, Rashi tells us, there are different explanations. Rashi tells us the name of Rabbi Eliezer. They paskined halacha, the law, in front of Moshe the Rebbe. They were more halacha. There's a concept in Jewish law that one may not um, paskin law in the presence of your Rebbe. That's one explanation given. Another explanation given, which seems to be even a, a tougher idea, the Chazal say, there are many different explanations. Some say they walked in intoxicated into the, into the, into the Mishkan. It's a very famous idea. But another statement by the rabbis is that Nadav and Aviyu, give you the language of the, the language of the text, is that Nadav and Aviyu in the Gemara and Sanhedrin, page 52a, tells us, Shahayu Omrim, that Nadav and Aviyu used to say, Matai Yamutu Shnei Zikenim Halolu. When will these two old men die? Referring to who? Moshe and Aaron. Unbelievable. Va'ani va'atan nanhige sador. And you and I, Nadav and Aviyu, we will rule the generation. We need to understand what's what's going on there in a deeper level. We have a tradition, another Navi, we're very holy people. How do we understand that? <clears throat> okay, that's one point. Point number two. Let's take a look for one second. The beginning of the parasha. So I mentioned to you it's the eighth day. The eighth day was also the first day. It's the eighth day of the inauguration. But it was the first day of Nisan. It was the first day where Aaron Cohen became the Cohen. It's when Moshe Rabbeinu sort of gave over the reins. And Moshe Rabbeinu tells Aaron on page 588, chapter 9. Moshe says to Aaron, take for yourself a calf as a sin offering. The ayil leola, and take a ram as a completely burnt offering, an ola offering. The crave lefnei Hashem and bring it before God. The el bnei Yisrael tidaber lemor. And to bnei Yisrael, you should say as follows. <clears throat> they also have to bring sacrifices. Kechu seirizim lechatos. They should also take a goat as a sin offering. The Egel Vacheves and they will also take a calf, and they will also take a sheep, one years old, as an old offering. So again, Aaron brings two sacrifices. He brings 
A calf as a sin offering, by the way, we never in the whole Torah, other than this one place, find the concept of an egel, a calf as a sin offering. That phrase is unique to this section of the Torah. Egel ben bakar lechatos. That's for Aaron, and he brings in a completely burnt offering as a ram. But B'nai Yisrael, they bring more. They bring a goat as a sin offering. Please note, try to remember the details. The egel and the calf, v'cheves and the sheep, like before, I mentioned that a moment ago. And those two, the egel and the keves, will be an ola offering, which are completely burnt. And then they bring shlomim offerings, which we will not go into detail, v'shor v'ayil, an ox and a ram, lishlamim, lizboach, lifnei Hashem, and umincha, and they bring a flower offering. And they are obligated, we know, that you're supposed to eat, you're supposed to eat from offerings known as a chatas, you eat from shlamim, chatas, even though Aaron's sin offering was not eaten from, but B'nai Yisrael's sin offering was eaten from, or should have been eaten from, as we'll see in a moment. Actually was eaten from. And um, so we wonder, whenever we have special sacrifices, what's going on with the sacrifices? So uh, you probably could figure, I'm emphasizing, I'm going a little bit slow here, I'm emphasizing the particular sin offerings that they brought. So Aaron brought a sin offering, which was from a calf. So Nu, what do you think the Medrash is going to say? Please feel free to respond. <coughs> no. Sin of the golden calf. In other words, Aaron Akoin, according to the Medrish, the reason for this, the reason for this offering was as a kapara for the sin of the golden calf, which Aaron had a role in. Which Aaron had a role in. And Rashi, in fact, tells us in verse 2 in the right column, This was to show that Hashem had atoned for the sin of the golden calf that he was involved with. That he was involved with. So, Aaron brings for the egel for the calf. Okay. Um, and what about Klau Yisrael? What do they bring for? What is it? What's their sin offering? What's their sin offering? What does it say there in the text? A, a, a goat. A goat. No? What do you got for me? What? The goat is the same thing. A goat is not a calf. They do bring a calf. Good. Well, let's focus on the goat for a moment. Why do they bring a What's the goat have to do with anything? Not carbon pesach. What's that? God of Egypt was a was was a baby goat. Yes, that's true. That's true. Go back before that. Before that. What's that? That's later. It's Yom Kippur. I didn't hear what you said. Okay. A little courage. Go back before and before Mitzrayim in Jewish history. Yosef. The sale of Yosef. 
comes the Medrash, comes the Medrash, and says an amazing thing. I read to you the language of the Medrash. This Medrash is the Medrash on, but you could known as the Torah God. <clears throat> and the Medrash says, what, what was B'nai Yisrael? Why did they bring their Karbonos? So the Medrash says, because they slaughtered the goat and they dipped the goat in the coat of the blood, right? And they dipped the coat, rather, in the goat's blood. That's the classic chait of Mechiras Yosef, the sale of Yosef. Therefore, they have to atone for that. Therefore, the Seirizim is the goat, is the goat of Chatos, which, which is the, with the sin of the sale of Yosef. Rav Salvechik says an interesting point. Rav Salvechik says, so Aharon has to atone for the calf. And, and Klal Yisrael are atoning for the sin of the sale of Yosef. And Rav Salvechik says, it's brought down in the art scroll, that these sins stemmed from different causes. And the different animals were reflective of the character flaws. When the people demanded that Aaron build them a god to take the place of Moshe, they suffered from excessive dependence on him. They thought that they could not endure without Moses or something to take his place. Therefore, Aaron brought a calf, which always follows its mother submissively. When the brothers sold Yosef, however, they signified a, rebel, a, a rebellious instinct, for they refused to accept Yosef's, uh, Yaakov's choice of Yosef <coughs> as the leader of the family. They behaved like a brazen goat, so that that was the animal that atoned for their sin. A very beautiful idea of salvation. But besides what, what salvation says, there's another point here, which is the original sale of Yosef was enmeshed with the, with the blood of the goat. Enmeshed with the blood of the goat. And in fact, um, many say that the song that we say at the end of, Pe- of, the, end of the Pesach Seder, Chad Gadya, Chad Gadya, the two goats, some say it's connected to the sale, the sale of the birthright, the two goats, right? The, the two Gideim, which was ma- prepared by Rivka for... Yaakov, so he used to give a bracha, but some connected to also the sale of Yosef. The sale of Yosef, the Gedi, the baby goat. So that's one sin. That's one sin, the Medrash says. But says the Medrash, says the Medrash, but you have to atone more than Aaron. You have to atone not just for the sale of Yosef, but also, but also for the sin of the golden calf. Therefore, when B'nai Yisrael, when they bring their sacrifices, what do they bring? They bring the sin, they bring the goat, but they also bring, they also bring a calf, an eagle. They also bring an eagle. Now, please note, they don't bring an eagle as a chatos, as a sin offering, they bring an eagle as an ola, a completely burnt offering, which is a little bit of a question on the Medrash. Nevertheless, we can answer that Aaron Cohen was the main, sort of was the one that led them in that sin on some level, on some level. So therefore, their involvement is a little bit less. So according to the Medrash, what's going on with this Mishkan, with the inauguration offerings done by B'nai Yisrael and Aaron, it was really to atone for these two massive sins, these two Averos. That's what's going on on a deeper level. And it's interesting to point out, interesting to point out that these sins the sin of the golden calf and the sin of, of the sale of Yosef really, um, really represent, typologically, they represent 
two major different types of sins, right? Bain Adam Lamakom, between man and God, the ultimate treason, theological infidelity is Avodah is idolatry, right? And the ultimate, you know, violation of Bain Adam Lachavero is, of course, is, is, to sell your, is to sell your brother. Although I'm sure many siblings have contemplated that notion. <laughs> right? So, fine. So, that's the subtext. That's the subtext of, of these sins according to the message. Very fascinating, no? You wouldn't get that in the re- text itself, but that's the subtext. Before we probe this medrash a little bit deeper, I want to just give you one more sort of necessary background piece. So, we have here, this is fascinating. I admit, it's a little bit technical, but stay with me, and I think you'll appreciate it. Barry, you going to stay with me? Okay, great. Baruch Hashem. I'm very worried. Barry, you know, he's not a loyal follower. How many years, Barry? 1516. 1516. You're not sure? I, okay, I can't don't keep, okay. anymore. Okay, fine. <laughs> fine. We were both a little bit less gray. Right? Much less. Okay, fine. <laughs> Speak for yourself. We both much less gray. Barry, I don't want your participation in this year. Right. So, we have here a fascinating, look on page 594, a fascinating halachic dispute between Moshe and Aaron. According to Rav Tzadok HaKohen, this is the first dispute in oral law. And actually, ironically, Moshe loses. Moshe loses to Aaron. What's the dispute? So stay with me. So the halacha is that somebody that's an onain, they lose a relative on that day before burial. The halacha is an onain may not, uh, uh, somebody that's a regular onain is restricted from eating meat and drinking wine, etc. But, but uh, a kohen who's an onain is allowed to do a kohen, um, a kohen gadol rather, who's an onain, the high priest that is an onain, again, on the day of where the relative dies, is allowed to do the avoda, the service, brings the sacrifices. But he is not allowed to eat from the karbonos, the sacrifices that he normally would be allowed to eat from. Because he's, he's an onain, he's not allowed to eat from that, he's not allowed to eat from, the, from that meat. However, Moshe Rabbeinu um, had instructed the Kohanim um, that that they, that they had to eat, that they were supposed to eat from the, from the meal offerings. If you remember, from among the different offerings that were given in the inauguration, so among the things that B'nai Yisrael brought was what's called a mincha belula, which was a meal offering. So Moshe Rabbeinu had told them, you must eat from the meal offerings. You must eat from the meal offerings. And from this... Aaron and Moshe understood this was given by Hashem from this they understood that this was an exception to the rule that no matter what even though they were an onain even though they were they had just suffered the death of their children Aaron had just suffered the death of their children nevertheless he was obligated to eat from the sacrifices so therefore Aaron ate from the sacrifices even though he was an onain what did he eat from? so there were three goats that were brought on that day Three goats. We only learned about one of them. 
That was the one goat that was brought by whom? By Bnei Yisrael as a, as a chatas, a sin offering. And that, indeed, Aaron ate from. And then there was another goat, which we didn't learn at all, and that was brought by Nachshon. I alluded to that earlier in this year, because this was the first day where the heads of the tribes brought their sacrifices. So Nachshon brought, among his sacrifices, a goat. And that goat was also what's called a temporary type of sacrifice. It wasn't something that was brought um, in, in perpetuity. It was brought as a one-time thing. In halachic terminology, it's called a kadshe sha'a, a temporary offering. So we've so far delineated two goats, both of whom were temporary offerings. The one that was brought by B'nai Yisrael in their inauguration, that is on what? That, is, that was brought um, on Rosh Chodesh, Nisan, by the children of Israel, and that Aaron ate from, and also the goat that Nachshon brought, that Aaron ate from, but also it's Rosh Chodesh. And on Rosh Chodesh, there's a halacha that you bring what's called a karban musaf. And a karban musaf, a musaf is an additional offering that's brought on Shabbos, and on Rosh Chodesh, and on Yom Tov. On Rosh Chodesh, they also brought a goat, a seir as well. But that is not a temporary offering. That's done in perpetuity. That's done every single beginning of the month, Rosh Chodesh. So uh, Moshe Rabbeinu, the Torah tells us, that's the, that's the background. Moshe Rabbeinu on page 594, verse 16, chapter 10, verse 16. Moshe Rabbeinu inquired. And the Esir Moshe. Moshe inquired, soraf, and he heard that it was completely burnt. And he got angry at Elazar and Itamar, the sons of Aaron, but Rashi explains that really it was the covet of Aaron, really he should have been angry at Aaron. And he said to them, Why didn't you eat this, uh, this, this offering? Why didn't you eat this, this karban, this sin offering? Because this was, included in, this was included in the special halacha that I had told you earlier, that even though you're an onen, you must eat from the karbonos. So, without going into all the details, because you won't be able to get it from the text itself, Aaron Cohen said, Moshe, no, that's not correct. You're wrong, Moshe. It's true, I ate from the goat, which was Nachshon's goat, and I ate from the goat, which was from the... which was from what? From B'nai Yisrael's goat. But I'm not eating from this goat, which is the Musaf offering. Why am I not eating from the goat? Because this was not a temporary offering. This is a... This is a... Permanent offering. It's Lidoros. It's not what's called Kadshe Shah. It's not for, for now. It's Lidoros. It's for generations. Therefore, Moshe, therefore, Aaron said to Moshe, that which you told me from God, that I should violate my normal rules. The normal rules of an Onain is that he does not eat from sacrifices. But you told me I should violate the normal rules. That is only true for the... No? The temporary. But it is not true for the, for the permanent. And therefore, I'm not eating from it. And Moshe Rabbeinu argued. He said, no, 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 it's true for the permanent. And as our Tzadaka Cohen says, unbelievably here, he says, that in this context, right, Vayishma Moshe, Moshe heard what Aaron had to say, Vayitav Be'enav, and it was good in his eyes. Moshe heard Aaron's reasoning. He conceded that Aaron was right, a demonstration of great humility, that was at the essence of his greatness. Moshe did not attempt to defend his position. He admitted without embarrassment 
etc., that, that he was right. And as a tzaddik, a coin pointed out, this is the first place in the Torah where we, we find the classic exercise of the oral law. And even though Moshe was the giver of the Torah, but when it came to oral law, so Moshe and Aaron were on equal footing in terms of later exposition. I think that's a correct statement to make. In terms of giving the Torah, there was no parallel to Moshe. But once it's about interpreting the Torah, so then Moshe and Aaron could fight it out, and Aaron wins. Amazing. So please, now that's a, a very technical point, but the Torah tells us at this, on page 594, chapter 10, verse 16, that Moshe Rabbeinu, he inquired, Darosh Darash Moshe. And there's a little note here, and there's a little asterisk that tells you this is the midway point in words in the Torah. This is the midway point in words of the Torah. That until the word Darosh, it's part one of the Torah. And after the word Darosh, it's part two. That the sort of like the midway, the midway section of words in the Torah, our tradition is, is between these two words. Follow what I just said? The midway point. We have the midway section of letters, midway section of words. Which verse? Page chapter ten, verse sixteen. There's a note. It's the midway point, and we'll see in a, we'll see in a few minutes why that's a significant point. But it's important to note. It's important to note that Moshe Rabbeinu was very concerned. He was very concerned that the that the sin offering be completely consumed, and he got angry. He got angry. I said, we don't find Moshe Rabbeinu getting angry too much, but he got angry here. Because there was, there was a great disappointment by Moshe. We need to understand deeper why was, what was he hoping and what, what didn't happen. Okay, so we have basically, we've, we've asked three questions. Number one, we started off I don't know if this is the right order of the way I presented it, but you'll, some, some people take notes. We, we, we asked the question of what is it um, regarding the, these carbonos, regarding the atonement notion of these carbonos, what's going on here in the deeper level, the atonement notion of these carbonos, of the Egel and the and the Sirizim Lachatos, what's going on with that? What's going on with that? We want to understand we want to understand about Nadav and Avil and the sin that they engaged in. How do we understand it that these are great tzaddikim? When is this person going to die? When is Moshe going to die? How do we understand that? And number three, we, we need to understand what was going on in terms of the machlokes between Moshe and Aaron. What did Moshe want to accomplish that they should eat the carbon chatas, that they should eat the goat? And we presented a number of details regarding these sacrifices. Now, with this sort of introduction, sort of want to get into the core, the core idea. First, let me ask a, a quick fourth question, which is the medrash that we started out the shir with is problematic because the medrash says Bnei Yisrael brings sacrifices for two sins, and Aaron brings sacrifice only for one. The one sin of Aaron is the golden calf. B'nai Yisrael has to bring for the golden calf, and they have to bring also for the sale of Yosef. 
why? What, but, but these aren't the same Jews that sold Yosef. These are the descendants of the Jews that sold Yosef. So why should they have to bring this for this sale of Yosef? So the answer you must say is because they're connected. So if they're connected, so Aaron is also connected because Aaron was the descendant of Levi. Levi played a pretty primary role in the sale of Yosef. According to Rashi, him and Shimon were the main players, Shimon and Levi. So if, for whatever basis you have to implicate the rest of B'nai Yisrael, you should also implicate Aaron. And if Aaron is scot-free, then B'nai Yisrael should also be scot-free. Why does the Medrash say, ah, Aaron is less guilty than B'nai Yisrael? That's a very... But the Levi separated themselves from a golden calf. Okay, that's the golden calf. Yeah, but, but they separated themselves. But, but yet Aaron played a role in the golden calf, right? I know, but they right? separated... Okay, what, is that the, what about the sale of Yosef? Sale of Yosef. That's what we're talking about but now. The, okay, but the ladies made, made up for it. So, uh, so, so, so we need to understand... Yeah, where do we see that the ladies or Aaron made up for it? That we didn't see. So, so again, the question is, why does Aaron not have to be implicated in the sale of Yosef? There's many people ask this question. So now, I'd like to share with you the incredibly beautiful Torah of Rabbi Moshe Wilson. I, whenever, I have, whenever I have the opportunity to find something that is amazing from Rabbi Wilson, it's always Kedai. He said this Torah 15 years ago, Parsha Shmini. At that time, Parsha Shmini was around the time of the Omer, so there will be some Omer connections. Um, but come along for the ride. Come along for the ride. Comes the Medrash the same medrash that we, I mentioned earlier, comes the medrash and comments on chapter 9, verse 6. By Yomer Moshe. Moshe says, This is what Hashem commands you, and you should do this. And the glory of God will appear to you. And in previous years, we spoke about this pasuk in great depth because there was a hidden drama because even though you can build the Mishkan, but will the Shekhinah come? And maybe the Shekhinah won't come. And if the Shekhinah won't come, so what good is building the whole Mishkan? And then Aaron Cohen went in, and the Shekhinah didn't come. And Aaron was very upset, and he was looked at Moshe, and he was embarrassed because the sin of the golden calf. And all of that is connected to Moshe, maybe talking about the Shekhinah coming. But comes the Medrash and says a little bit different. That when Moshe Rabbeinu was saying, Hashem, this is what God commanded you. Oso Yetzer Hara Taviru Remove that, that evil inclination from your hearts. And be together in one way, one mode of fear, and in one council, and you'll be able to serve God. <laughs> Just remove that Yetzirah. But the Medrash doesn't tell us what Yetzirah it's referring to. Just also Yetzirah. And Rabbi Wolfson suggests something very, I think it's really the chat of the Medrash. He says, you know, that sometimes we, you know, in, in, in Yiddish, there are certain terminologies that are so beautiful, we don't think of it. There's a term used for, for the very great sickness that many people unfortunately lose their lives from. And they call that sickness the C word, they call that sickness in, in Yiddish, yena machala. You ever hear that phrase, yena machala, that illness. Oto machala, that illness. We don't want to even use the words. Because we're very careful that if we use the words, we bring it into the world. So Moshe Abedin says, oto yei oto yei means, this is like the worst yei possible. 
And if you do, and he doesn't even want to identify, but he just says, if you remove that Yetzirah, then, then the Jews will come together. Begira achas, the one fear, Eitzah achas, one counsel to serve God. What's that Yetzirah? So, Wolfson explains the ultimate purpose of creation. You know, I was listening to a radio show last night, driving from a meeting uh, at 9.35 p.m. from <clears throat> the other side of uh, Pico Boulevard to Link, so I had about four minutes. I didn't know what to do productively, so I, I'm like an idiot. I turned on the radio. So, okay, what can I do? So I was listening to 8.70, and there's a sum this... The worst possible time to listen to a radio is, is Sunday night. Sunday night meaning a talk show. Because, you know, only the, loser, only the losers get that slot, you know? So, whatever, I don't want to embarrass those losers. What, what, what's that? I was listening to the last anyway, so, you know, I don't mean the losers listen to it. I mean the ones... Anyway, boy, I put in mouth disease. So, the, uh, so, so there's one question that some guy wrote in. What do you hope to accomplish in life? What do you hope to accomplish in life? This is the four minutes I was like, what do you and there's a, there are two people, there's a man and a woman who are the hosts of the show, John and Leah. Okay? And uh, I don't know who these people are. And so Leah says, wow, I haven't the foggiest idea what I hope to accomplish in life. And John says, well, it depends. Are you asking globally or are you asking locally? So he's obviously making this up on this place. like no idea, like, you know, and he gives these, uh, this, this random answer, which I don't even need to go into the details about. I hope they're not either. But, but, but it's an interesting thing. If I were to ask, go around the room, what, what do we live for? What's the purpose of life? It's a very important question. It's kadai to think about that every once in a while, right? So that, that question can be answered in different ways. On a personal level, on a cloud level, speaking about the Jew, speaking about the world, speaking about Hashem, right? You have to, you know, there are different ways of approaching that. But on some level, the answer has to be, my purpose in this world is to achieve an ultimate cognizance and connection with Hashem. That, 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 the answer has to have some type of, that has to be a piece of it, right? It's not just to do mitzvahs. It's not just to learn Torah. It's not just to eat a lot of food, right? And you know, to go to as many catered bar mitzvahs and smorgasbord <laughs> as possible. <laughs> Um, which as a rabbi, you know, is one of the occupational hazards. <laughs> and um, and what Wolfson says, the, the purpose of creation is really Shema Yisrael Hashem Hashem Echad, is to create ultimate unity with Hashem. And the ultimate purpose of that, creating the ultimate unity is, as an individual and as a klal, we work together to bring God consciousness into the world. And to the extent that we don't have any pirud disunity, to the extent that we are united, then we will be able to bring that consciousness into the world in a more maximal way. And the ultimate Mashiach time is Hashem Echad Ushmo Echad. That's the goal. That's the goal. And Moshe Rabbeinu, Moshe Rabbeinu was telling B'nai Yisrael at that time, we'll see why in a moment, at that time, Rosh Chodesh Nisan, right, this special day when the Mishkan is about to come into the world and the Shekhinah, Moshe Rabbeinu says, Zehadavar, this is a very big moment. This is a moment which can bring about tremendous connection and tremendous achtus, tremendous unity. 
This is a very, very big moment in Jewish history. Now, now, normally, as I mentioned before, right, this happens during the time of Sphira. Sphira, the counting of the Omer, is a time of great division in Klal Yisrael. We know the students of Rabbi Akiva, division. They didn't treat each other with honor. Lo nohagu kavod According to one opinion in the Medrash, Nadav and Avil didn't treat each other with honor. Lo nohagu kavod But the tikkun, the correction of the correction of that sort of period of time, the correction is of course to be to find the secret of unity. To find the secret of unity is really to undo the Yetzirah of kinah, of jealousy. Because, as Rob Wolfson says so beautifully, and listen to this incredible and important analysis, Rob Wolfson says that the Shoresh, the root of all destruction in the world, began with jealousy. And think about it. And we're going to get to one famous Gemara in a moment, I'm going to hold off on that. But the second example of jealousy in the world was when the Nachash, when the serpent, was jealous of Adam and Chava. And look what he did. The serpent created, right, destruction in the world. And the third example of jealousy, the third example of jealousy, I know I didn't say the first one yet, um, is, of course, Cain and Hevel. Cain and Hevel. Right, Cain was jealous of Hevel. And the after that, moving right along, as we say, the tribes were jealous of Yosef. The Shvatim were jealous of Yosef. And then, going a little bit beyond that, the sin of the spies, right? According to the Medrash, they didn't want to lose their position. They, would, they, 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 they were Hashem people, and then they're going to go into Eretz Yisrael, and they would lose their status, and they didn't, they, they, didn't, they didn't want that to happen. And we find that the great division in the kingdom, the split between the ten, the ten tribes and the two tribes, was greatly accentuated because there was a man by the name of Yeravam ben Nevat. You, you heard about him? And he was the one that, he was, he was worried that what's going to happen is that he's going to lose his stature. So he made, he made sure that the, the Jews of his kingdom wouldn't be able to visit the temple, the temple, the place of unity. And he created uh, um, calves, he put calves from Dan until Beit Kel because Yeroboam ben Nevat was very jealous of, of the southern kingdom. And so the jealousy, jealousy is at the, is at the root, is at the root of the uh, destruction of the world, which leads us to the first jealousy, or shall we say the primordial jealousy. The first, the first time that we find, there's an amazing Gemara, and some of you might be familiar with this. The Gemara in Chulin on page 60a. And I'm sure, and I'm sure that you have heard of this idea. Maybe you haven't heard it in the context of the Gemara. But the Gemara says in Masechas Chulin on page 60. 60b. I'm sorry. The Gemara says, What's with the goat of Rosh Chodesh? Why do we bring a goat, it says in the Torah, you bring a se'ir Hashem. You bring a se'ir Hashem. HaKadosh Baruch Hu says, Hashem says, this should be an atonement for me. 
God needs to bring an atonement. What does that mean? So the Gemara explains that it says in the beginning of the Torah that Hashem made two great luminaries, the, the sun and the moon. And then later on it says that, right afterwards it says, the big luminary and the small luminary. But there were two great luminaries. They were called Sneam Oros HaGadolim. And then it says, What happened to the moon? So the, med- the Medrash tells us, as I'm sure you're familiar with, the moon said before Hashem, Ribono Sha'olam, is it possible for two kings to, to, be, to be holding on to one crown? They can't be. This, this universe isn't big enough for both, for both of us, said the moon. This universe isn't big enough for both of us. So God said, that's correct. Diminish yourself. So the moon said, God, now that I diminish myself, so what's going to be with me? What am I going to get? Right? I'll do it. Yeah, you told me the right thing. I'm going to diminish myself. What am I going to get? So, so, Hashem said, no, you'll, you'll get, you'll get, you'll still be able to, you, you'll, you'll still be able to have rulership, you'll still be able to have rulership of the, of the, the day and the night, the day and the night, now, why is the moon the day also? Not for now. Right? Because we know the moon, 30, 24 hour cycles. So, the moon said, I'm sorry, God, my presence in the day is not really helpful. Because what good is a candle in the middle of the day? Shwago honey. So Hashem says, okay, you're right, but the Jews are going to count to you. Because we know that the lunar calendar, right? Lunar calendar, that's Rosh Chodesh, all that. So, the, the, the moon goes, goes on further and says, uh, that's not going to work either. Um, and finally, the end of this whole story, the end of this whole story is that Hashem says, I'm going to bring a kapara. Every Rosh Chodesh, when the moon makes its reappearance, I'm going to bring a special sacrifice as a kapara, as an atonement for the fact that I diminished you. Now this Gemara is a very mystical and very deep Gemara, which many people have tried to explain and have given deep explanations for. But one basic idea we can definitely draw from this Gemara is what? Is that the Gemara is teaching us that there's a concept known as the diminution of the moon, and the diminution of the moon happened because the moon was jealous and the moon had a problem and because of that, a Kaddish Baruch Hu diminished the moon. And every single Rosh Chodesh, Hashem brings this carbon, and we go out when we see the moon a little bit more, we make something called the Kiddush Halavana. Should be familiar with this? And we ask Hashem to bring, back, bring us back to the time where we'll be able to be Mimale, we'll be able to f- fill in the Pigimat Halavana. Does this sound familiar to anybody? That we, got, we ask God, Yehiratzon, Hashem, we should be merit to, to experience the Lemalos Pegimas Halavan. If somebody's pass me a sitter for one moment behind you, there's a sitter, actual sitter, page 614. Lemalos Pegimas Halavan, very good. This is what we daven for because there's a concept that the world, that the world has been affected, affected in a negative way because of the moon being diminished. 
And therefore we say at the end of this beautiful tefillah of Kiddush HaLavanah, May it be your will, Hashem, to fill the floor of the moon, that there be no diminution in it. When that levana will be filled back, whatever that means, it's going to be when a Kodesh Baruch will bring the world back, the world to its next stage. And without going into all the details, we know that the kingship of David, David Melech Yisrael Chai Vikayim, the kingship of David was actually likened to the moon. And when, when they needed to, to give code words, when they needed to give code words to tell the messengers that it was Rosh Chodesh, the code word that they gave was David Melech Yisrael Chai Vikayim, because the... Because we have a concept that the, the kingdom of David, just like the moon, waxes and then it wanes. And, and, and we know that in the future we will experience the Mashiach because Malchus Yisrael is going to reemerge again. And, and there's a lot of depth to this idea of the, the, the moon being, re, being, being refilled. But this all happened because of kinah, because of jealousy. This is the Yetzahara that, that Moshe Rabbeinu is speaking about. Also Yetzahara, this Yetzahara of jealousy. And says Rav Wolfson, says Rav Wolfson, that the way to correct jealousy, that the, we know that the only way to correct and to create an achdus is as the, the Evan Ezra teaches us in the commandment of Lotachmod, that a person has to realize in the deepest way, the deepest way is that we know that a Kaddish Baruch Hu has a game plan for each and every one of us, that everybody has their own tafkid and their own tachlis and their own purpose. And if I realize that what you're going to accomplish and what I'm going to accomplish is all part of a bigger cosmic plan, and that nothing that you do can take away from what I do, and vice versa, if a person realizes that, then there's no room for jealousy. Ein makom lekina. And this perspective, this perspective is critical and necessary to be able to achieve a correction of kinah and to achieve a shlemus. Who is the Jew that most symbolizes the ability to be happy with somebody else's great achievement even though it would seem that that other person was taking away from his own greatness? That was Aaron HaKohen. Aaron HaKohen! The class was... Aaron HaKohen represents, listen carefully, represents the ultimate midah, which we'll talk about in a moment, the ultimate midah of unkinah. The ultimate midah of being happy for someone else's success, even though one might have thought it would have impinged on his. And who is that? Moshe Rabbeinu. And we are told, the beginning of Sefer Shmos, that, when, that Aaron will see you, Moshe, and he will be happy with you. And what did he merit? What did Aaron Akoin merit? Because he was happy. He was happy in his heart. What did he merit because of this incredible Mida of Ankina? What did he merit because of that? No. He merited, the rabbis tell us, to wear on his heart the the Choshen Mishpat, the breastplate, which really is another way of saying he merited to be the Kohen. He merited to be the Kohen because he had this tremendous midah 
of lack of kinah. The ra'achav is samach belibo. And therefore, it is interesting, now we'll do a little bit of Kabbalah for those that are above 40, and those that are under 40, please stop listening. So, our Nakoin represents the sphere, the fifth sphere, because we have, the way it works is Avraham, Yitzchak, Yaakov, Moshe, Aaron. And there are seven spheres. And then, Yosef, and then, then we have Yosef and David. The seven spheres are Chesed, Gevura, Tiferes, Netzach, and Hod. And Hod is the sphere of Aaron. Hod means illumination. It also means to be mode, to prostrate yourself, to be humble, to bow. And it's interesting, it's interesting to point out, says Rob Wolfson, that the sphera, that there are, that the, the Omer, which is the tikkun of this, of that, of that lack of unity of the students of Rabbi Akiva, the Omer, which represents that tikkun, the highlight of the Omer, the undoing of the negative of the Omer is always connected to Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer, which is the 33rd day of the Omer, happens in the sphere of Hod, but not just that, it is the fifth day of the fifth week, which is Hod Sheba Hod, which is, of course, connected to Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, who was from the second group of Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva. And wouldn't, it, wouldn't you know it that, as Rabbi Wilson says in this incredible, incredibly beautiful piece, the gematria of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is, the gematria of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the same as Svirat Hod, the same as Svirat Hod, Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, and more than just that, more than just that, the gematria of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is, is, hold on one second, okay, we'll just hold for that, that's good enough for now, we'll come back to it in a moment, come back to it in a moment, um, and, therefore, therefore, Aaron HaKohen, um, therefore, Aaron HaKohen, who represents Hod, the fifth sphere, Aaron HaKohen is the fifth, right? Avram Yitzhak Yaakov Moshe Aaron. Aaron HaKohen is Hod, the Tikkun of Kina. Rabbi Shemba Yochai, the Tikkun of Kina, right? Hod Sheba Hod. Aaron HaKohen does not need to atone for the sin of the sale of Yosef. Why not? Because Aaron HaKohen, in his essence, had already, Aaron HaKohen had already undergone a tremendous, a tremendous tikkun, had already undergone a tremendous tikkun, and therefore there was no need for him to bring any sacrifice for the sin for the sin of the sale of Yosef. Now, stay with me a little bit more. Stay with me a little bit more. So comes Rob Wolfson, and he says as follows. What is the greatest place of unity in the world? You know it. It's called Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim is the greatest place of unity in the world. David Amalek says in his Tehillim, in Tehillim, he says... Yerushalayim is the ear Shechubra la Yachtov. Yerushalayim is the city that brings together everybody. According to one opinion in the Gemara, in in um, 
according to our opinion, the Gemara, I believe, in Sukkah, that Yerushalayim was lo nitchelka lishvatim. Yerushalayim was not divided into tribes. It was everybody's city. Yerushalayim is the ear the ear that brings together all the tribes. They all come to Yerushalayim. Yerushalayim itself, the name of Yerushalayim is a composite of two different names. Avram calls it Yerah, and Malkitzedek calls it Shalem, and it, it unites together the two names. Yerushalayim is this incredible place of unity, so much so that the Gemara says in Chagiga on page 26a, that an ignorant person, normally if he were to, a person that's ignorant and doesn't know the laws of ritual purity and impurity, today we don't have these, but if he were to touch a Talmud Chacham, normally speaking, the, the Torah scholar would be considered to be Tamei, but during the Regal, during the time of the Pesach Shavuos and Sukkot, an Am Haaretz who touches the Talmud Chacham is still, he doesn't make the Talmud Chacham Tamei impure, because, on, because during the time of the Regalim, Yerushalayim binds together all the Jews. Kol Yisrael Chaveirim. Kol Yisrael Chaveirim. And... And this is a special, special idea connected to the concept of the Mikdash with Yerushalayim, but within Yerushalayim, the Mikdash, and within the Mikdash, of course, within the Mikdash, it's the Makkam of Avodah, the place of service, and who is at the epicenter of the place of service? Aaron Akohen, or the Kohen Gadol. The Kohen Gadol is the ultimate uniter and unifier of whom? Of all of Kal Yisrael. And on his, and on his, Heart, you with me? On his heart, what does he wear? He wears all the names of the tribes. On his heart, he wears all the names of the tribes. And the Arizal teaches us an interesting idea. He says that the Mishkan in the Midbar had within it the Kedusha of Yerushalayim. The Mishkan had the same ability to unify. The Mishkan had the Kedusha of Yerushalayim. And it's very interesting to point out. And again, you don't... You know, you don't have to buy into this gematria, you know, to buy into the vart. But it's a very interesting thing to point out that what Wilson says that that the gematria that the just want to make sure the gematria of et haurim the et hatumim, which is well, well before I get to that the gematria of choshen mishpat, the gematria of choshen mishpat, okay is the same gematria of Asa Yareach Lamoadim. I'll explain in a second. The gematria of the gematria of Choshen Mishpat, is, which is the breastplate, is the same gematria of God made the moon for the holidays. Because as we said before, the whole purpose of the Choshen Mishpat or the Kohen Gadol is to bring together all the Jews in that place of Yushalayim, Achdus of Hashem, in the Makkam of unity. And, I, and there's a Kohen working, and there's a Levi singing, and there's a Yisrael davening, and they're all coming together, and there's no jealousy, because that's really a piece of the next world. That's a piece of the next world. And that's really what God intended for the Yareach, for the moon. The moon was meant to serve in its role for the Moadim, for the holidays, and the moon was intended to serve equally with the sun, not necessarily as a luminary, but the moon had its purpose. But the moon, you know, said, but I want to be like the sun. I want to be like the sun. 
And that's the concept of rectifying lemalos pegimas halavana to rectify the deficiency of the moon doesn't necessarily mean to make the moon bigger. What it means is, what it means is, is to recognize that each and every one, each and every part of God's world had a unique and special purpose. A unique and special purpose. And now, with this idea, with this idea, we can understand a little bit of what went on here. Because Yerushalayim is in the middle. Yerushalayim is the great unifier of the Jewish people. So much so that it's interesting that the Zohar says that Yerushalayim is not just the great unifier of the Jewish people, but the Zohar says that Yerushalayim was the place or the original spot that God created in the world. And then he, from Yerushalayim, he actually extended the rest of the world. In other words, we have this tradition in a few places that Adam HaRishon was created from the dirt of the Makom HaMikdash, from the place of the temple. That Adam was created Mimakom Kaparato, the place of his Kapara, where he achieves atonement, he was created. That's why we always feel connected to the Kotel and to the base HaMikdash, because it's always good to come home, because that's the ultimate home of the, of, of the humanity, is to come. And that's why the base HaMikdash is a place for all of humanity, not just for the Jew. It's Kibesi Beis Tvila, Yikari L'chol Ha'amim, for all of the people. So Yerushalayim is not just a unifier in spirituality, it's the whole world began in that makom, and it was stretched out, according to what, don't ask what that means, it was stretched to all the different sides. If you look at a risk board, which is my only ge- ge- geogra- geography knowledge, a risk board, you'll see that you, Israel is sort of in the middle there, right? It's sort of in the middle, right? You know, it's like, you know, on the bottom of, bottom of Asia, you know, the green, you know, and then before it gets brown, and they still have the same colors, but, but, um, but, the the Cesar Wolfson Cesar Wolfson that's why the Ramban writes many times that Eretz Yisrael is called the middle of the Yishuv it's called the center of all of of all of the world and what's the center in time the center in time is Rosh Chodesh Nisan the center in time is the month which is both the first month and the seventh month. Rosh Chodesh Nisan. That's the center in time. Because according to Rabbi Yeshua, that's when God, God created Adma Rishon. And from that moment of time, all of time is then extended. So now I want you to think about how many... What, what hap, what's happening? On Rosh Chodesh Nisan, what's happening? You have a tikkun, a correction, that's being done by Aaron HaKohen, a correction of the un, an unkina, a unity... Aaron represents this tremendous unity. He's Baracha Basamach Balibo, and he's doing this in the Mishkan, which carries with it the Kedusha of Yushalayim. Yushalayim is the center of the world and the place that all the Jews come together. And he's doing this what? He's doing this in the place, in the, pla- in the, in the period of time in the year, which is the center of the world, also, the center of time, Rosh Chodesh Nisan. And it's being done also, he goes into the Holy of Holies, according to Chazal, and they say that's the holiest place. So all unities are coming together. It's, a, it's, it's meant to be, it's meant to be a time of tremendous unity, such that potentially, at this moment, the world can come back to its place of ultimate fulfillment.
And that's what could have happened. What could have happened was game, set, and match. The world would reach Mashiach then. Rosh Chodesh Nisan could have been the Mashiach site. That time. And something went awry. Something went awry. And Nadav and Avihu, who were on the highest level, and they saw within themselves tremendous capacity of leadership. And when Chazal say, they said, when are these two old men going to die so we should take over? It's not, it's not, you know, so two guys smoking cigarettes and saying, you know, let's, is it happening yet? No, it's not that at all. It's they, rep, they recognized, certainly, they recognized that they had special kokos. That maybe, that, that even Moshe and Aaron didn't have. As we see later on, that there was something said special about another Nabi that the others didn't have. But on, on their madriga, on their level, on their level, there was a jealousy. There was a jealousy. And that jealousy, which was manifest in the lack of kavod, either they didn't paskin that they paskin the halacha in front of Moshe, they didn't give Moshe the proper due, or they didn't even, they didn't even consult each other, that's another version of the chait, or they said, you know, it's time for us to take over, but whatever the particular detail was, it was smacking of some degree of jealousy that still was there. So what happened? So what happened is that Moshe Rabbeinu who so desperately wanted to bring the world to its ultimate fruition, who so desperately wanted that the world should come to Mashiach, and those words of Darosh, Darash Moshe, that we started this year, it seems a few years ago, Darosh, Darash Moshe, that Moshe, which was the middle of the Torah, the middle of the Torah, because it's really this, the central aspect of the Torah is the achdus of the Jew to, co- to come together to be able to see the, God, the greatness of God in the world and bring everybody into that same picture. Darosh Darash Moshe. And indeed the gematria of Darosh Darash Moshe is 1,353, which is the same gematria as Hitkin Tzurat Halavana, which means to correct the image of the moon. Hiskin Tsuras Halavana, because this could have been the moment. And then Moshe Benu heard what happened. Something happened. The Chatos, the Chatos of Rosh Chodesh, right? Which according to the Gemara was Hashem's Kapara for the moon. Whatever that means, we're not going to explain that tonight. Moshe Benu found out that what? He found out that Aaron Akoin did not eat from that carbon, which he didn't understand halachically why. But what he realizes is. is that what could have been, what could have been the ultimate correction that Aaron Cohen is going to, even though he's an Onain, somehow was going to be participate and partake in all the Karbonos, and somehow he'd be able to overcome that kina. And, and he had a machlokes with Aaron, whether he should eat or shouldn't eat, and he ultimately admitted, he admitted to Aaron that he was wrong. But what goes on here, what Moshe Rabbeinu was really angry about, or was very sad about, was that there could have been this tremendous tikkun that had there been had there not been the sin of another Naviu, that Aaron Cohen is rectifying the hate of rectifying the hate of the sale of Yosef without even having to bring a carbon because he personifies unity and and Klau Yisrael are doing a tikkun for the hate of the Egel Hazav and therefore no sins are left and now there can be this tremendous place of achdus and then it falls apart. And the chait of Nadav Ravil, really, according to this conception, 
is really the vestigial reality, excuse the fancy terminology, but is the reality, as Rav Wolfson says, that kinah, which is this rooted jealousy that is so much a part of the world, you don't really believe that just... Just look at what's going on in the presidential elections. Actually, it's better not to look. It's, it makes me, mom is so disgusted. It's, it's disgusting. What a disgusting and embarrassing reality it, it, the, the, the presidential elections are. It's mamish nauseating. I ain't so to think that these are the people that will run the country. It's, it's mamish. We need Mashiach quicker than ever. But 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 the Misa, but the, but the Misa, right? The reality of the, of kinah. The reality of of that jealousy that ultimately still reared its, its head in a way that, would, that prevented the coming of the Mashiach. And, and therefore you will find the next world is always defined as a place where there's no kinah and no tacharus, no competition and no jealousy. The olam haba ein bo kinah ve'ein bo tacharus because this world suffers so greatly so greatly from this from this reality. Now let me just let me end with this. Let me end with this. Okay, um, it's a very beautiful Torah, Baruch Wilson. No, it's very very beautiful. Mm-hmm. It's very sublime. The Choshen the Choshen Mishpat is really represents that unity, and therefore it's the it's the moon doing what it should be doing. And and Moshe Rabbeinu is his Kinsuras Halavana, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai, the Gematria of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is the Sviras Hahod, and and and. All of these beautiful, beautiful, you know, coming together of this, this concept of unity. And, and ultimately, you know, it, doesn't, it doesn't happen because of kinah, right? Ultimately, it doesn't, doesn't happen because of kinah. So what, what, is the, what is the lesson for us, right? The lesson for us, I think, is a Dover Pashat. And that is, that is, any time you do something to create greater achdus, you're mevater, you're mevater, you're willing to give in and to give up, you're living in the next world. You're living in the next world. Anytime you are willing to forego, yeah, he did this to me, you know, and it, it's really not nice. He said something that was, you know, and, it, and, I, and I could really, I, 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 could, I could be upset with him. Right? Or that was such a, that was, you know, he, that, that, he stoked the coals. He, st- he, he, you know, she said something that, you know, just, it hurt, it was a hurtful comment, right? And there's a period, there's a period, right? And I choose to recognize, no, I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to go there. I'm then representing the Bechina of Yerushalayim. I am representing Yerushalayim. Because as we've said before, that Yerushalayim is not only a place, because there's a pa- perfect parallel between, the, between Olam, Shana, and Nefesh, between the world, between time, and between the Jew. Those three realities. And what Yerushalayim is in a makom, a place, there's a time called Yerushalayim, there's a time, right, Yom Kippur, Kodesh HaKadoshim, and there's also a place, the Jewish heart, the lave of the Jew, when it's perfected and corrected, the lave of the Jew is in that place of perfection, it's like the Kodesh Kadoshim, it's this tremendous place of unity, you're a Kohen Gadol, you're a Kohen Gadol if you're able to overcome the Mita of, the Mita of Kinah, right, and therefore, I'll just leave you with this last beautiful, 
and, and this, of course, brings us to the very first comment of the Shir, Avas Yisrael. Avas Yisrael. To love another Jew. To love another Jew means that you don't look at another Jew as being just a piece of olam hazeh. Because it could be, life can be very petty. We can be, we can, there's a lot of petty things in the world. Right? We can, we can be caught up in pettiness, you know. I, 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 I can't even begin to tell you, you know, how Jews can be very petty. Right? That, you know, you said it this way, you didn't say it, you know, how come to this person you addressed him this way and to me you addressed him that way. There's, eight, there's an infinitum of pettiness that can exist in the world. But that's only if you're looking at the person as a goof. But if you look and say, this is, this is a person that's in the Shama and belongs really to a different world. And I want to be mechaber to this person, the Shama. And even though this person said something that might have been hurtful, and I could, I could choose to be hurt, but I want to be mechaber myself. I want to connect myself. So I'm going, to go, I'm going to look at the Yerushalayim in that person. And I'm going to be mechaber myself. I'm going to connect to the Yerushalayim. I'm going to, be, I'm going to do an hour in a coin. I'm going to be v'racha v'samach belibo. I'm going to hone in on the part of you which is ultimate unity. And therefore, in, between you and I, I'm going to come to a place of, uh, come to a place of Yerushalayim. I'm going to be, I'm going to choose to be misakin to correct the pegima salavana, that which we suffer from in a tremendous way. And this rabosai is, this rabosai is really what's going on on a deeper level. Moshe Rabbeinu thought that this special day of Rosh Chodesh Nisan could have brought the world to its ultimate perfection. Indeed, it could have. But he realized that there was still kinah, so much a part of us. We all struggle with it in so one way or the other. That even other Naviyu on the great Madrega, even they were not able to, to, to ultimately overcome it. And therefore, Aaron Cohen wasn't able to eat from the carbon of Rosh Chodesh. And therefore, Moshe Rabbeinu realized that this was going to be a, a, a lifetime of work. Hashem should give each and every one of us the ability to be'ezrat Hashem, the ability to work on our own personal kinah, and therefore then to be able to find that's great in other people and create more and more achdus, more and more Yerushalayim, and be'ezrat Hashem will be zoche to be in Yerushalayim, in Kodesh, in Herobi Amenu, Amen. Thank you for listening, Abbas.